How would you like to come home to a bartender who will fix you any cocktail you want? I'll have an old-fashioned. I'll have a margarita. Now you can with the Bartesian Home Cocktail Maker. Bartesian is a sleek machine the size of a coffee maker that makes premium cocktails at the touch of a button. Choose from over 50 different cocktails, from classics to the most exotic premium cocktails served in the best bars today. You'll always get freshly mixed, perfectly balanced cocktails with the Bartesian Cocktail Maker. And now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever at bartesian.com holiday. Entertaining? The Bartesian is ideal for parties. No need to stock all kinds of individual mixers for complicated recipes. Every guest gets the cocktail of their choice in seconds. The Bartesian makes a wonderful gift for anyone who loves a fine premium cocktail. Now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever. It's available right now, only at bartesian.com holiday. That's B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N dot com holiday for Bartesian's best deal ever. Only at bartesian.com holiday. Lucky Land Slots, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to Puck and Roll. the puck and roll podcast we have a loaded episode today we have trades to talk to we have trades to talk to and we have more trades to talk to the montreal canadians were very active at the trade deadline and in the week leading up to it moving some big names for what can only be described as hauls in all of those deals the montreal canadians are clearly in selling mode and while Kent Hughes isn't calling it a rebuild, it's looking like a rebuild in terms of acquiring prospects and picks and sending out 
veteran players, even if they are still under team control. Guys, how are you doing? So I am joined today by Scott Cowan, Patrick Lorty, and Joshua Rosa. And before we start talking about the individual trades, how are you feeling now that the trade deadline has passed? Totally loaded. <laughs> Relief. <laughs> You know what? Uh, I'm I'm always the one to kind of jumping first in every episode, but since we haven't heard the soothing voice of Scout Cowan for a while, go ahead, sir. Take take front and center. How, what what were your thoughts about this uh, insane trade deadline? Relief. I'm just it was definitely a pretty crazy day, and a lot of trades came and went, and a lot of teams stocked up. And I find some teams are set to be really big contenders for the Stanley Cup this season, while other teams kind of lowballed and acquired what they could, and are trying to maybe make a push for the playoffs. But as for the Habs, I think Ken Hughes did a top flight job for his first ever trade deadline, and got some really good pieces in return for guys who whose future with the Canadians seemed questionable, who maybe his future in the NHL seems, they don't really know where their ceiling lies. I mean, for Arturi Lickening, you get a guy like Justin Barron, who is a top defensive prospect for the Avalanche and seems to be a pretty good uh, piece for the Canadians going forward. He was a teammate of Caden Gooley at the World Championships, at the World Juniors. So I think I'm really impressed with what Ken Hughes managed to do. And it definitely showed his shrill nature and also the fact that of his experience that both him and Jeff Gordon have. And I think it made overall for a pretty good trade deadline for the Habs. Yeah, a lot of people forgot that... Uh... Ken Hughes was uh, was an agent, right? He's got a relationship with, with everyone already, so he's not completely new to the job per se. So the fact that he's able to to talk to uh, general managers that you know he's been talking to for years now and be able to negotiate at a fair price, and all, obviously he's got background uh, already, like he knows a lot of the players that he's gone in return and whatnot, either, either through um, them being former clients or, you know, through just the industry as a whole and everything. Um, but uh, I do need to mention uh, on the lighter side about Ken Hughes. And I don't know, Scott, Josh, if you guys heard about this, the um, when he sat down for his uh, post deadline trade co- uh, press conference, you know, then everyone was asking, so how did it go? You know, over the first time it's like, it's kind of funny, you know, I'm calling general managers and, you know, now none of the other ones telling me, oh, now you care about the salary cap. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Well, it seems like some teams certainly do not care about the salary cap or at least are in a situation where they're going to have to use a lot of gymnastics to get under the salary cap. Hello, Vegas, Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that, yeah, that was a catastrophe. That I, I mentioned this a couple episodes back. The recent hiring of Hughes, the Habs are no longer the worst team organization wise in the NHL. Oh. It's not even close anymore. It's not like, even close we're, not, anymore. we're not even in contention for it. It's and think about it. Vegas is a cont- well, contender in, uh, I put that in air quotes now because they're kind of tanking, but they uh, in a situation where they're kind of barely fighting for a playoff spot now. Yeah. I, I, I believe that they are like, at least, like, Money Puck is giving them, like, a 17% chance of making the playoffs or something. They're holding like on to a wild card spot, but it, like, it, is, it, is, it is more likely than not that three of the four conference finalists from last year missed the playoffs. That is absurd. That makes, so that makes no sense. Vegas made the past two conference finals and both times lost to teams that they should have easily beaten. Yeah, and it's honestly, it's exactly that reason that uh, the Montreal trade for uh, the Ben Chirot trade has me so excited because there are always contending teams that just drop off for a year for no apparent reason. And 
if the Florida Panthers do that next season, the Habs have their first round pick and it is not lottery protected. Well, I have my wits about me of Florida to begin with, because as much as I think the Panthers are a star-studded team, Sergei Bobrovsky has still never proven himself to be a big-time performer in the playoffs. So come April, I think it's he's the one who's really going to make or break the Panthers. So he's been playing exceptionally well this year, but I'm still not convinced. Exactly. And in all likelihood, uh, Florida will be a good team next year. But if they're not, the 2023 draft is the one to have a good pick. So that trade has me extremely excited. and. Now that we're already talking about it, what are what are your guys' thoughts on the Sherratt deal in the end? Because there was like a season-long hype train for this deal to be made, and it finally happened. Was there any disappointment of it being built up too high, or was it more just at like like thankfulness out of it actually being as much as it was? I don't think we have anything to be thankful for as a whole. Um, but uh, sorry, Josh, did you want to go first, man? <laughs> he just shrugs. <laughs> you know what? I'll continue. Um, no, we got a fair deal for for Ben Sherrod, and uh, because let's be honest here, like he's at the peak of his play uh, playing career. He is a minute eating machine, you know, and he can hit like there's no like there's <laughs> like he's one of the best hitters in the game. He's an excellent defender, and he's a leader. At the same time, you know, like in a, like a lot of people don't realize the impact that Ben Sherrod has on and off the ice. But however, that being said, as you know, fair as a return as we got for Tyrese Milanic, a first round and a fourth round pick, uh, I'm going to drop a little bombshell here. And I don't know if you guys were aware because this news has started to come out and I wasn't sure if it was true, but I had found this on last Monday, but I couldn't confirm anything, which is why I never really mentioned it. But um, the Boston Bruins offered more for Ben Sherratt. And the Canadians had accepted the deal on condition that Kent Hughes size an extension with Boston, but Hughes does not want to play for the Boston. Uh, sorry, Sherratt does not want to play for the Boston Bruins. I really Hence don't what, think Kent Hughes wants to play hockey for the Boston Bruins. Uh, no, oh. I, I doubt it. Also, <laughs> that would not be a fun <laughs> More bad. So anyway, so the initial uh, deal was uh, Ben Sherratt was being traded to the Boston Bruins for a first round pick, two second round picks, and a and a random player apparently just to like f- for cap space. So Sebastian probably would have gotten more excited because there was more picks involved. Uh, but again, it was all conditional on if Ben Sherratt was going to sign a contract extension, which he didn't want. So they signed Hampus Lindholm instead on an eight year deal. Uh, so now Sherratt is with the Florida Panthers and we got the deal that it's now. And I still think it's a fair deal. Um, I still think Montreal managed to sneak a something out with Tyson Milanic, even though he is a player who a lot of people don't really pick up on. I mean, I remember when the Habs traded away Matthew Pekka for Aaron LeChuk, and I made an article on it, and LeChuk went on to be just an ECHL guy. But I think I think Milanic brings more of a pedigree, which at least will make him more of an interesting prospect down the line. And in my opinion, I think he'll be a guy who will be contributing to the Rocket in a few years. I heard Smilanic and I heard Baby Formula. <laughs> well, when I first heard the name, I thought it was Ty Smith, and I jumped out of my chair for a split second there. <laughs> We wish. <laughs> Wrong team, unfortunately, but he, he's an interesting player. And I, I think what the trade deadline really showed is that Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon have, have a very clear vision of what they want this team to be like. It's going, they want a fast, intelligent, and mobile team. That is every move they're making in terms of acquiring prospects fits that mold. Justin Barron fits it. Tyus Milanic fits it. Emil Heineman fits it, right? 
some of these players bring good physical elements as well, but that is an important thing, but not quite as important as the rest. They need intelligent players and uh, mobile players. So skating and intelligence are really what they're putting the weight on. And Tyus Smilanic is an interesting player in that regard because he checks off all of those boxes. He has a motor like no tomorrow, and he is a, a fairly effective NCAA player. He might ha- be a late bloomer in terms of uh, like like production, which has been decent, but not like anything special thus far in his college career. But it's an interesting prospect to add, but it really is that first round pick that is unprotected. That is like the oh, gem ab- of that It's return. a beauty because to be honest, Tyson Milanic can go spend his entire career in Laval for all I care. We got a 2023 first round pick. Exactly. And, you know, and they're considering how deep that draft is going to be. That's just incredible on its own, you know? So yeah, like, like you said, if the pan, if the Panthers suddenly have like the biggest drop off in the history of sports and, and, and ends up being a lottery pick, I mean, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the fourth round pick too is, is something right. It's not like, it's not like a seventh round pick or anything either. Like a fourth rounder, you always see some pretty decent players slip into the rounds like three and four. So if, if their scouting is good, they might be able to snap up a pretty solid player with that pick this year as well. Also, probably, yeah, we have, this isn't the first time we've seen this happen in the NHL. Well, we've seen this happen in the NHL before of picks where contending teams trade for players and they end up with lottery picks. It's not something that doesn't ever happen. We saw what happened in Bowen Byron. We saw what happened with Tim Stutzel. It's not the most far-fetched idea in the world. And while it's an unlikely thing to happen, it has happened before. I want to make a complaint uh, to the host of the show, um, Sebastian. I know you're power hungry and you're, you're, you're the man now, but Josh hasn't said a word, man. I feel bad for the poor kid. Like, throw him a bone. Anything. Josh, soothe us, my friend. I'm not <laughs> the one hogging the microphone here. <laughs> Come on, Pat. Come on. Okay, Josh. You can talk about the Sherratt deal. You can move on to the Kulak and Lekkonen trades. You can talk about history. What do you want to talk about? The floor is yours. Talk about your cat. <laughs> oh, my that. wormy cat. Yeah, we'll talk about that. People love that, right? Um, it's got something interesting to say, I guess, because overall this trade deadline was great. Every move was a positive one. Everything was either at or above what we valued the players at especially if you look back at the start of the year expecting that Brad Kulak would get that sort of return or even Arturi Lekkonen to get that to get a player like Baron back is pretty great what I was kind of it's hard to say because everything was so good but I was kind of hoping for something a bit more offensive coming back like we got Milanic and um and Heinemann who are interesting offensive players but I guess it's my trauma from watching this team for the past little while of always building from the back end out we have Carey Price and then we'll build the defense and then whatever's left I guess we'll get some offensive guys that's when we have like Brian Yonta and Mike Camilleri leading the teams and Renee Bork. Oh. And I just want to, 
I, I, just, I will not take Ray Brooks Lander. He was terrific in that one playoff series. So. That one, yeah, that one, that one playoff incredible. series where Rennie Borg remembered how to play hockey. Yep. And I guess, I like, you look at Montreal's defensive uh, prospect pool, especially now adding Barron is absolutely fantastic. You've got, like, Gooley, Fairbrother, Barron, uh, Dubal, uh Norlander it looks great and then I look at Montreal's offensive prospects and there's some really interesting guys but then there's a whole lot more question marks which I hope they're gonna address I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of offensive players taken in the draft but at the same time you cannot be unhappy with the haul that Montreal got for all these guys no and I mean, the Habs also do have 15 draft picks this year, so yeah, they have yeah, they, the capital. They can go any any direction they to want to. Whatever so, they want. Yeah, exactly. I think yeah, another exactly. good point also with the acquisition of Barron is that at least with the Habs' defensive core and their pipeline, they're not so much pushing guys that were seen as middling prospects as the face of the franchise, like what happened to Victor Mete way back when, when we thought Mete was the future of our defense, even though he was just an average player at the end of the day with some good speed. But having like Barron and now moves guys like Josh Brook down the pipeline, which while I love Josh Brook, I don't think he's going to be an NHL player, and it's about time the Habs advised that and maybe just started – seeing him more as a guy who can contribute to Laval down the line. So having all these defensemen coming into the pipeline only makes Montreal's prospect pool all the greater, I find. Yeah, but at the same time, if I, if I could just add on to um, Josh's comment about the offense not being that exciting versus the defense, I think it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. On, the, on, on one side, you got the defensive unit. Um, we already have an idea what it's going to look like next year, at least on the left side. The left side is already set. It's going to be Joel Edmondson, Alexander Romanov and Corey Schooneman, because Schooneman has proven himself that he can be, you know, a regular NHLer, and I think he's gonna he's gonna be that sleeper pick where he's gonna steal that that final role on the left side. On the right side, where it's gonna it's gonna be a, a dogfight because Jeff Petrie is all but gone, and and Hughes has said it more than one time he's gonna get traded this summer. He's gonna do what's right for the team and his family. So you know whatever and you know what we'll be lucky to get anything for him especially if we don't eat any any anything off his contract so on the right side you're left with what you know you're left with justin Barron. you know who's like you know who's likely you know david he's gonna be in the lineup of course david and justin Barron are gonna be in the lineup then you're gonna have an an interesting option Jordan of, Harris of either go- Ooh, I don't exactly. Harris, Harris I, has played most of his college hockey on the right side. He was actually he was actually the name I was going to mention. I was going to mention Jordan. It's either going to be Harris or they're going to go in and sign uh, a free agent. And no, don't get started about Christopher Lutin. I don't think they're going to sign him. I don't even think it makes any sense. In our s- dreams. It doesn't even make sense to sign him at this point. <laughs> no. Anyways, a the- boring and just keep Chris Weidman. Exactly. Yuck. So let's continue. <laughs> and then, but, but then when, jo- so, but you know, but then we still have like, like Josh was saying, you know, guys like Fairbrother, like Brooks and everything. So there's a lot of like, of D- Gooley, of course, so we, there's a lot of, of defensive Gooley. prospect in the pipeline that can make either a part-time impact now or very um, soon in, in the near future. But up front, our prospects are already there. And our prospects was Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. 
right? Now they're the ones who are leading the team. And, you know, that, that first line is set. It's going to be Suzuki and Caulfield is going to be together for the next decade. And now for now, we're going to be writing Josh Anderson for as long as we can. Maybe another year we're going to be writing who knows, you know? So I think the, the, um, the offense as a whole, it, it will look different because guys like Mike Hoffman is not going to, is not going to stick around. Of course. Um, Brendan Gallagher is going to be reduced to a bottom six role, whether his six and a half million dollar contract justifies it or not. He's going to have he to already is in a way. I know yeah. exactly, but he has to change his game in order to survive, so to speak. Right. So now that we're, at the end of the season, it's actually a, a, a very interesting time because a lot of people are like, well, now what? Like the trade deadline is gone. Are we going to wait to the summer? No, because we have to look at guys like Christian Dvorak more seriously because he didn't have a chance to play for Martin Sumi up until uh, last game, right, where he finally started. So we're going to be looking at Dvorak. We're going to be looking at you know, the the, the, con- the continued impact of Jake Evans, and so to speak. So then when we reach into next year, well, then, the, not, then it's going to be a battle, especially down the middle, because now Dvorak, what's going to happen? Is he going to stay? Is he going to go? Is he going to be a second-line center? Is he going to be a third-line center? The fourth line is going to be another battle between Jake Evans and Ryan Paling, probably. And, you know, and again, what do you do with painting? Do you, you know, do you use him as a spare? Do you put him full-time? And then on the flip side, you know, Ken Hughes still wants to have more of his players there. Doesn't necessarily mean that Dvorak is one of quote unquote his guys, right? Because another, you know, inside report that I that, that I found out was that the uh, him and the senators were close to get it on a deal for Colin White. Now, White is a very similar player to Dvorak and a very similar salary, but you know, again, is he a second line center? Don't think so. You know. So he would probably be used mostly, you know, on, on assignments on the third line or maybe in the fourth line for that matter. But at four point seven million dollars, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty rich for like for, for a bottom player. And we're finally trending towards getting rid of bad contracts that you know the previous administration has left us. So, again, I'm thinking, you know what, like the prospects are there now. Uh, so now we just need to have the proper support cast up front and then the back end just needs to continue developing. So, and, you know, but like, you know, you mentioned Sebastian and we got like, you know, 147,000 draft picks this year alone. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, take your pig, you can throw no, a exactly. dart on the wall and, you know, you're going to get somebody decent. So, and in, in terms of like the high end players this year, the likelihood is that the Habs will go with the forward unless they decide that, Simon Nemetz or David Yurchek are good enough wherever they pick. Also depends where that is. If it's like second overall or fifth overall, but yeah, the, the, like the forward core at the top end and Shane Wright, Logan Cooley, a lot of people are very high on Yuri Slavkovsky. Uh, I think that is probably where that pick is going to end up is with one of the forwards, but who knows? And they did say in the, the round table couple of days ago that they will draft best player available no matter what position it is and organizational need. So if the best player available is a left defenseman, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter that we have a bunch of left defensemen. You draft the best player. That's how it should be. Exactly. I agree. Otherwise you end up with another like a Kakinyemi. Yeah. Like like positional need should be should be a tiebreaker, not the deciding factor. Totally. I'm going to make a point also to throw caution to the wind quickly when we're talking about the Habs defense for this year and talking about a guy who I think 
quick in the short term. I'm just going to talk about Padilla really quick and just say that I think as an injury call-up, I think he's earned a spot to look with the Habs for a third-pairing role towards the end of this year. They're at a point where they're kind of looking to give the guys maybe chances and just see how the rest of the season plays out. And he's been playing well in Laval. So I feel like if there's one guy from the Rocket on their defense, I think there's a shot. I think it's him. Yeah, that's totally on my end. Sorry. I was <laughs> I know it makes things super awkward because I'm trying to figure out, you know, like no very smoothly on the side, like who is he talking about? Because you mentioned the name and it just cut out. So, oh, Louis Belperio. Yeah, totally. Like he's he's making an impact in Laval, uh, not not only not only out of his play, but but always but his leadership as well. Like he's he's always up front and center now. It seems you know not afraid to like to munch on the camera, not afraid to speak up. Uh, he was seen around the Canadians uh, when they were in Philadelphia actually because they were playing Wilts, uh, Wilts Scranton Berry, which is right down the road. So um, yeah, you never know. I mean, I'm hoping he gets a call this year before the, the the Rocket go to the playoffs. But I mean, well, the way the Habs usually went with Xavier Led for so long, where they've been calling him up on and off, I think anything's possible. Yeah, and then into the, to shift our focus back towards the trade deadline. No. Um, no, okay, fine. That's okay. I, I, I guess I guess I'm just gonna gonna go against the, the new host. That, Good night. Uh... <laughs> no, let's but continue. Yeah. We still have a lot to talk <laughs> about. Go ahead, man. So the, the the Kulak trade. This is an interesting one, not only because the return was pretty solid for a player like both him and Artur Lekanen were healthy scratches at certain points last season, and then the hauls that we got for both of them is are both quite impressive, but. The Kulak trade, the Kulak trade is also an interesting one because it took a, a long time to get finalized, and that period of, of like where like we knew he was going to Edmonton, but the actual like play, the return wasn't clear yet. Uh, that was also a time when Patrick be, went full Bye. insider on us and decided to just, I guess. Screw with Habs Twitter? Is that is that what you'd say? Considering <laughs> that it didn't end up being true? No. Uh, what, what, what okay, fine. I didn't do it on purpose. Less fun. Sure. <laughs> hey, my tweet literally said, I don't mean to blow... Like, I hope I don't blow up Twitter, but... Um, That's more fun that way, Pat. Come on. Yeah, you're right. You know, it was it was kind of cool. It was kind of cool to lie. I mean, I, I pissed off someone from RDS, so, I mean, that was worth it a lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, I heard that. <laughs> but to be... Okay, to play, to play it seriously, uh, for those who are not in the know uh, and who haven't read my article on uh, winninghabit.com, where I actually... I had an interesting Monday. <laughs> so uh, starting building relationships with a lot of people in the industry, uh, both uh, the people that are related to NHL teams, the NHL itself and the media, um, you know, I guess my big mouth is finally being used for something good. Uh, <laughs> um, essentially, I was sitting there Monday and I started talking to a lot of people, you know, from sports stats, from TSN, uh, from independent sites and everything and from, from everybody. And um, the uh, the news was starting to come down that Brett Kulak was going to be traded to Edmonton. Now, it was going it was going between Edmonton and Calgary the entire time. Um, you know, it, 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 it didn't come to a shock to many people because uh, Ken Hughes seems pretty adamant to when he's trading people out of his team, he wants to send them to places where they're going to be happy. Um, you know where. Where Kulak stands, well, his parents are in the burbs of Edmonton, so which is why he got traded there. But like uh, Sebastian mentioned, 
it took a long time for the registry to to go through and uh and then i was wondering because like normal because the the lekanen trade came in uh, fairly quickly and um and i'm and i'm just waiting i'm like wait a minute like it's taking half an hour an hour an hour and a half and we're still waiting for that confirmation and we're still like hearing just cool out for a second and then finally the will uh william laguston uh name started to to drop and that seemed to be it but then i get a message saying pat they're still talking i'm like what do you mean they're still talking and then they started talking about jake allen i'm like oh and then i'm starting to get two three four i got about i I'm not lying about a dozen messages from various sources saying that uh, Ken Holland and Ken Hughes were um, talking about Jake Evans. Uh, Jake Evans, sorry, Jake Allen. I didn't want to uh, give Josh a heart attack there. And uh, <laughs> and um, so the essentially it started going back and forth, and then obviously everyone was going finally because the Edmonton Oilers have been needing a goaltender since Bill Ranford, and um, so the <laughs> so essentially the. The price started coming in, but now the Edmonton Oilers, mind you, are very, very close to the to the cap, so a salary had to come out. So then, the only logical salary to come out was uh, Miko Koskinen, uh, which is he's making about four and a half million dollars on the cap hit or whatnot, and you know, expiring contract and whatnot. So then they say, okay, well, we'll take Koskinen, but now you're going to give us a first round pick or a first round prospect. So that's what it was going. Um, Essentially, we were looking at Kulak retaining 50%, Jake Allen retaining 50% for Koskinen, um, uh, William Lagason, a second-round pick, and either a first-round pick or a first-round prospect. And the first, and, and it, it was prospect for a long time because they were talking about Dylan Holloway. And that would have been incredible. But again, maybe it was too rich or maybe there was just something wrong with the cap or, you know, maybe they just got nervous because time was running out. But in the end, the whole thing flopped and then we got the Brett Kulak trade. So, um, yeah, a lot of people freaked out. A lot of people um, said, no, it's not true. Da, da, da. But yeah, well, I got it from pretty good sources that it was. So you want to make so a point about sending a player to, and play I'm sticking to, be able to, uh, to rest. I mean, freaking hell, you're Jake Allen to Edmonton. A team that I mean, once there he'd be played until his back gave out, you know. So I think yeah. have, sticking around here, sharing minutes and more. And and Josh, I'm sure you're a happy man right now. Jake Evans just scored a goal. It's two. Hey, that's great. This is the, this is yeah, the fun part of recording on game day, where it's like we're just talking about the Habs, and then it's like, oh, little update. <laughs> yeah, nice to reach double digits on the season for him. Close to that. I think he had like. Seven or eight nine goals though. this year. Like before this game, or including this goal. For this game, he had eight. Okay, solid. He's going to hit double digits. That's honestly pretty good for him. But yeah, like Pat, it's it's really fun to have an an actual insider now in the podcast. And uh, yeah, like it's <laughs> um, yeah, and then the Lackman trade was also really fun. I withhold uh, any comments at this time. Yeah, no, no comments. <laughs> not inferring anything. Um, and the Lackland trade really did, did come out of nowhere. There was no rumors that uh, Colorado was even like interested in him, even though he's a very Colorado player. But the, the teams absolutely heard, a Colorado player, oh, 100%. But the, the names of teams that we always heard were like the New York Rangers, the St. Louis Blues, right? But yeah, the Colorado uh, the wa- quiet. 
the Washington Capitals were the ones that were the most yeah, aggressive okay, yeah. on Lekin all yeah. year. I, I knew it was uh, getting one. Yeah, the Capitals were very aggressive. Again, it was a, it, as usual. It was a salary cap issue with them. Uh, they were trying um, for Ilya Samsonov to be part of a package going towards Montreal. But the issue with that is that we we already have like seventy six goaltenders. So you know, at the same and, time, if they would have pulled off the Jake Allen trade, would have made sense exactly. Uh, that being said, however, uh, yeah, Colorado just. Came out of no, out of nowhere, yes and no. I said yes because yeah, I don't know. The Colorado was never mentioned in the rumors, but at the same time, no because I think Joe Sakic just uh, pulled the fast one on everyone when it was clear that Claude Giroux was going to Florida and nowhere else. Uh, so once uh, he saw that, okay, Giroux's off the market, he doesn't really need any any defensemen. So you know what, like a guy like Lekkonen is just so perfect for that team, and he did. He, he stated one of the best quotes I've heard in a long time from a general manager. Um, and so you have to give up asset in order to get assets, you know, explaining why they gave up Justin Barron to begin with. Um, and you know what? He's absolutely correct because up until I can, I can say this with all certainty up until one o'clock on Monday, Arturi Lekkonen was not for trade. And it took an offer that they couldn't refuse in order for, the Canadians to pull the trigger. And he said it before. It's like, unless someone offers me a first round pick, maybe I'll listen. But now in this case, you're getting a first round prospect and a second round pick. So now it was just a no brainer. So, you know what? You want to overpay for Lekkonen? Go ahead, buddy, because I'm all over this. And smart move. Well, I had Lekkonen also going to a place of one of the best defensive forwards in the NHL in Valerie Nichushkin. So he played like me to be playing with it. I really do feel like Lekin is just Lekin is just the Finnish version of Nachushkin. They 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 both play that like incredible defensive game, but like high tempo, heavy four checkers. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great fit for Lekinen. And honestly, I do hope that Colorado does end up winning the cup this year. It's just their time has come. It's too fun of a team to not win a cup. And now with Lekinen there it makes it all the more easier to cheer for them. Josh. Well, it all goes to show. Oh, you've been talking a lot. Josh, give me some insight on the Lekkonen trade. I, I think Lekkonen's going to be the, if we're getting on the other side, I think Lekkonen's going to be the most successful out of all the players that Montreal's traded away, I think, in Colorado. I think that uh, Toffoli has obviously done well in Calgary so far, but he's such a streaky guy that I never know what's going to happen with him and Sherratt's going to be in a good position to succeed if Aaron Ekblad comes back in any sort of soon I don't know when he's supposed to come back if it's just until the playoffs or later during the first round I think is the current projection for him that kid just can't catch a break yeah yeah but but yeah I definitely think, like, at least in my opinion, the Lekkonen trade, it was the most bittersweet of the bunch of just, like, it was the right move for sure, right? You see, you see the return. And even before we saw the return, I wanted Lekkonen to be moved because just the time would come and you can't, you can't overpay for, like, four different bottom six forwards. But he's just such a loyal soldier for the Habs for so many years. Scored the most legendary Habs goal since 1993. It, it it hurts to see him go for sure, and, at least compared to the others. 
Fine, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I, I'm sorry, but it, it's an important point to take into consideration, not to like, you know, to my own horn or anything. Um, the Arturi Lekkonen situation, though, it, it just goes to show how teams always rely on the um, on the foundation of the past Stanley Cup winners, right? Like right now, you know, we're, we're looking at the Tampa Bay Lightning, and what are the Tampa Bay Lightning aside from an outstanding goaltender and you know one of the most dangerous forwards in the game? Is that they won their 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 playoffs because of guys like Blake Goodman and Barkley Goodrow, you know? And who best represents that type of player than Arturi Lekkonen? Right, it's it's gonna be make he's gonna be making that kind of money also when it comes this summer when he becomes a restricted free agent, and maybe even more when he becomes an unrestricted free agent. But that's that's the thing now. In the past, you know, people were paying three four million dollars for fourth line grinders because they were the ones that were winning the cup at one point as well. People were spending tens of millions of dollars in goaltenders because at one point that's what the, the you know. So it is, it's always the mud du jour, so to speak. And right now it's guys like Lekkonen. So, you know, a year ago, no, we wouldn't have gone this kind of haul, but not because that's what it is. And it helps that Lekkonen is having a career, granted, but hey, we got Don't it. Don't forget, to Patrick, there was a time where Team Canada decided that Rob Zaminer was a good choice to add to their Olympic roster. So <sighs> defensive forwards were the big thing. <laughs> it was the big thing. Exactly. You're right. You're absolutely right. And again, Lekkonen was a healthy scratch quite a few times last season, right? And to have gone from that to a return of basically a first and a second now is outstanding asset management for the Montreal Canadiens. And Ooh. yeah, I, I, I think that now wraps up the trade deadline, unless anyone has some last comments they want to throw in with the moves that were made or the moves that weren't made. Uh, yeah, can we just yeah, take a second and... Uh admire the hamburglar for a second and thank him for those uh four games that he three <laughs> that he starts three wins 920 save percentage he was <laughs> incredible i i'm so happy we got to see him in the Habs jersey and he's I'm going so, to a place where he'll be able to play too in new jersey exactly he's got a lovely. chance to play and i'm surprised sebastian hasn't gone on a two-hour rant about nate schnarr I mean, I mean, in all fairness, I, th- I think I was expecting Scott to do that. He, he's the AHL. I mean, in all honesty, I think, I think he'll yeah. be a great fit for Laval's roster. <laughs> is a talented AHL player. Um, I mean, he, I know he's not exactly a high value guy, but he's a talented player. Yeah, he's the one player that the Habs added for the Rockets for the playoff run, right? Oh, it's, totally. Also, my yeah. dad, also a piece in the Taylor Hall trade not too long ago. A minor piece, but he still was a piece. In the same vein as that Hamburg deal. And we've kind of talked about it a little bit off and on throughout this whole segment. It's just the refreshing nature of how Ken Hughes has run team. You're talking about he wants to send players to the best places that they've been. He's talking openly about trading Jeff Petrie and not happening. Like, I don't know about you guys. I don't think Mark Bergevin would say that last year. Never. Yeah. Never. Like the the arrival of Shotan Maccabee as well. So much more transparency in the organization. It's really refreshing. It's so great, yeah. It's not, just a ma- it's not just a matter of transparency. It's a matter of human kindness at the same time. Like there, I've seen on Twitter so many uh, reporters saying, uh, I forget who it was. Someone had an interview uh, with someone, and he said that he texted Chantal Maccabee just to confirm, like he wanted to text her, sorry, to confirm the interview. She ends up texting him. 
at like seven o'clock in the morning saying, yeah, you know, you're still good to go just to let you know. And he's like, whoa, I know this all in advance. And, you know, Maccabee has spent 30 odd years on the other side. Right. So she knows exactly how it feels to be a reporter looking in. So, you know, and like airing, airing out the, the rooms a little bit, doing some spring cleaning, like Josh said, oh, it's just it's amazing. And at the same time, it, it doesn't change anything in terms of negotiating or, or trade or trading or signing anybody. It's just, you know, it's like you're telling the fans being like, you know what, this is the situation. This is what it is. Let's move on. That's it. So, yeah, I totally agree with you, Josh. Yeah, I saw a few people on Habs Twitter like complaining of how many leaks the Habs have had with their trade talks and how that Fantastic. would negatively have more leaks. I'd love to have more leaks. Right? Like, like, <laughs> like if, you're, if, you're, if your issue with it is uh, oh, if there are leaks that other teams have advantages and whatnot, these are leaks that are being manufactured. They're leaking what's on purpose. If they no, didn't I, want I go back leak, to last. They I go back to last trade deadline, Sebastian, and I felt like I was working for the freaking KGB whenever I went into certain areas of Twitter looking for Habs news. I felt like my door it's, was kicked down. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like if your argument is, is, oh, they're not getting good returns. Look at the trades. We're getting massive returns, except for the for the Toffoli deal, which, especially with the context of these other deals, looks a bit disappointing. But with that one exception. All the others have like really blown me out of the water of what I could have expected. Like Ben Sherratt, who was being rumored, could maybe get a first round pick like a week and a half before the deadline. He gets a first, a fourth, and a third round prospect. Arturi Lekkonen gets a first and a second, basically. And Brett Kulak getting a second round pick and a seventh and a third pairing decent defenseman. That is a haul. So I, I, I don't see how people can complain about the leaks when... Like, how can you complain about this transparency? It's so much more fun as fans to be, like, involved with the team and to, to see how things are going and to not all, always just be, like, out of the loop of what's going on. It's, it's way more entertaining from our perspective as well. All right. So I, I think that does kind of conclude our trade deadline talk. And with that being said, now that we've passed the trade deadline, we just have, what, 20-ish more games left this season. What are your guys' expectations for that stretch? Because the big the big thing for the Habs, apart from a player evaluations, like Pat was mentioning earlier with Dvorak, is where they're going to end up in the final NHL standings because they are still very much in the mix for that first overall, or for, for the, not the first overall pick, but for the lottery, the, the most valuable slot at the bottom of the standings. Do you guys expect Montreal to actually finish last? Do you because right now it's between Montreal, Seattle, and Arizona that are that have that are basically tied on points. What do you guys expect now between now and the end? Do you think the Habs are going to be at the bottom or not? I'm gonna make a point really quick, Sebastian, for about to like an anecdote that you just reminded me of that kind of ties into how I think the Habs will play this year. I remember when I was researching the uh, old Ottawa Senators teams back in like the early 90s when they won 10 games in their inaugural season. Their head coach was Rick Bowness. And every single game by the end point of the season, Bowness said that the only thing they could hope for was that the other team didn't bring their A game. That's the only way they were going to be able to win. And that's, that was their mindset by the end of the season. And I think if we still had Dominic Ducharme now, the Habs would be in the same mindset. Just hope that the other team doesn't bring their A game because the Habs looked completely out of it with Dominic Ducharme. And by the end of the year, it looked like nobody on that team wanted 
wanted to play for him. So having Seymour to St. Louis here and seeing where they are, I think the sky's the limit for the Canadians at this moment. I've just been really enjoying how this team's been playing, how much energy they're playing with. And I'm no longer scared whenever they go to face another team to watch us get killed every single night by the New Jersey Devils. So I think the Montreal, I have no expectations where they're going to go. And quite frankly, I'm really happy to have no expectations. I just want to see how much better this team can keep playing and also see how all these rookies can keep playing and just make this as exciting of a, of a final 20 game stretch as we can. As Marte St. Louis said, he's treating it like multiple uh, seven game series and they've won a few here. So let's just see where they can go from there. I don't yeah. think they're going to finish in the bottom. Um, Cause mostly because Seattle got really bad at the trade deadline. They traded away some of their best players, Giordano, best players, the big one. Well, as much as Seattle Kraken had. And Montreal, of course, has been heating up. And I just don't think at this point they deserve to be at the bottom right now, the way that they've been playing, the way that Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki and even everyone up and down the lineup has been playing. They're not the 32nd team in the NHL. I don't know they're going to get much higher than 29-28, which is still a really good chance for that number one spot, but the way that they're being, they don't deserve to be in the bottom, and I don't think they're going to finish this year. Yeah, and an interesting thing that you mentioned there is, like, even if the Habs end up, like, fourth or fifth from the bottom of the standings, they can still very conceivably get that first overall pick. A lot of people in the media are complaining about how all the Habs are playing, and they're not going to be able to draft shade right now, and all these things, but, like, if you're the worst team in the league, you have a 16% chance of drafting first overall. That is negligible. That's less than one in five. So at that point, does it matter if you're last or second last really? Like it's a 4% difference. Does that, how, how big is that of a thing? And yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with, with, what, with what you were saying because the Habs are going to have a good shot at a lottery pick at one of the, the two lottery picks and whether they, they get it or not, they're going to have a, a top five pick unless like a massive turnaround happens, not just for the halves, but also for the teams in front of them. And yeah. And then Pat, what, what about your contribution to this section? Oh, I didn't think you want to hear me, but okay, I'll go for it. <laughs> after tonight, um, after tonight, there's 18 games left of the season. Uh, like you said, unless they, they t- unless the team goes on an 18 game winning streak, yeah, they're 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 drafting in the top five for sure. Um, I still think this whole thing is rigged, and the Coyotes are going to draft Shane Red first overall. Um, that being said, though, I mean, I don't I don't expect um, a lot of miracles in 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 the play in the way the Canadians are said. Like, we're just we're here to to, to hmm. that for the first time since we actually have a healthy team at least a healthy-ish team, because right now, officially on, on the on the IR, is Tyler Pitlick, which, who we might not see at all for, the, for this year. Um, playing today. Caleb Clagg and... Oh, playing tonight. Tyler oh, okay, Pitlick sorry. Is playing today. He's, he's been invisible. Well, my bad. My bad. Well, let's see. He's been so invisible. I didn't even know he was playing. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, sorry. You got Caleb Clagg also there, and you got Ryan Paling, who's probably off for the rest of the year. So the and only Harry big Price. name that we're reading... Well, I was just going to say the only big name we're waiting for is Carey Price, who, uh, you know, by by all accounts, he's going to be in for at least a couple of games before the end of the end of the year because he's taking, you know, he's taking part of regular 
guys like Dvorak, guys Evans, who's been playing injured, you know, for a while as well. Uh, David Savard, is, you know, he, he just finally came back, much to uh, Josh's dismay. Um, but you know, it's 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 we're gonna look like a team who just started the season. You know, we're going to see some guys you know, having very quick hot streaks, some guys getting extended cold streaks uh, when Price returns. And hopefully he does at least you know, just at least get a couple of games in there. It's going to mean that Montabo could finally just leave, get the much needed surgery that he needed for his wrist and everything. So um, honestly, stats wise, I'll be happy for a 500 team between now and the end of the season. But also that being said, I mean, Martin Saint-Louis, said it time and time again again that he's not a substitute teacher he's not here just to play daycare so he's gonna you know still get the maximum out of everyone and this is the time where everyone needs to to play at their you know at, at their top performance because no we're not funding for a playoff spot these guys are fighting for a job for next year's for next year because now that you got a new gm you got a new vp uh it doesn't matter if your name is joel edmondson it doesn't matter if your name is uh brendan gallagher or joss anderson if you start if you start phoning it in you're out buddy you know and they're going to make sure that just like jeff petrie they're going to make sure that you're going to get traded no matter what be entertaining like scott said yeah for sure and I, i guess on the same vein in terms of expectations what about your expectations for beyond this year? Because while Kent Hughes has like very clearly refused to call whatever this team is doing a rebuild or a retool or a reset or anything, he's just not labeling it at all. His moves are indicating that it is a retool at the very least. He is not just trading away uh, like, UFAs, just like, like Ben Sherratt and Brett Kulak, but he's also moving established NHL players that are under team control. Tyler Toffoli had two more years on his deal. He was moved. Arturi Lekkonen is an RFA, and he was moved. So if they're trying to compete ASAP, they would keep those guys, but they didn't. And I think that's a very clear indication of, at the very least, a retool. But that's just my opinion. What, what do you guys think of the direction that Hughes and Gordon will bring this team into in the next year or two? I think it's a bit of a mix, honestly, because I thought that when Toffoli got traded, it signaled for me that they were really pushing towards just getting rid of everything, cleaning out the house and just sort of pushing for the future and just trying to get rid of the little remnants that remain from what Bergevin had signed or what Bergevin had tried to add to this team. Now that we're past the trade, obviously we know that that isn't the case and that guys like Hoffman and Savard will be sticking around for at least a little bit longer. I don't know whether they'll be dealt this offseason or not. But I think personally, going back, going forward with Hughes and Gordon's strategy, I think they are going to keep trying to get rid of pieces and try and sort of retool and rebuild. But there's also some players that I think obviously they're going to want to keep going down the as we go forward into the seasons. So guys like Josh Anderson, sort of big power forwards like that. So I think while they are going to be pushing for mostly a rebuild and a complete gut, and I think there are some guys who kind of have played their way out of Montreal, there's also some guys who I think deserve to stay here and deserve to be see this rebuild through to fruition. Montreal is in a really unique position when it comes to talking about rebuilding and retooling because like we've talked about before, Bergevin already tried to do that before. So Montreal still already has a pretty good pool of draft picks and prospects that can really turn out well like we've seen Caulfield and Suzuki who are 
the two best players on the team and they're not anywhere near their prime. And so it's not going to, I don't think it's going to be like a full rebuild in that sense because it's already kind of part way done by the team before it. It's just kind of cleaning up the garbage and filling in the cracks that were left by the faulty retool that Bergevin was attempting. The foundations are there. I think they just need to really drive them and build up what can be a contender in the next three to five years, possibly, if they play their cards. I do think that it's more of a retool than a, than a full-scale rebuild, like a lot of people are hoping, because a full-scale rebuild would mean that everyone who's over 30 years old is gone. Uh, which is not going to be, you know, exactly the case. Um, we are stuck with Carey Price, whether we like it or not, at least for the next two, maybe three seasons before, you know, there's even a, a viable chance of trading him. And that's unless, of course, he ends up getting injured and finally goes on the, and pulls a Shea Weber and goes on the LTIR for the rest of his career. But I think, though, that um, it's all going to depend on what happens between the last day of the, of the playoffs and the draft. And that's going to be who, what kind of salary are we going to be able to unload? Because, you know, how much, are, how much of Jeff Petrie's six and a half million are we, are we going to be able to, to actually save on that? Are we going to be able to move a contract like Yoel Armia? Are we able to get going to, are we going to trade or buy out Paul Byron? Same thing could be said about Jonathan Drouin. Same thing could be said about Mike Hoffman, right? If we're able to move those pieces that in the end are pretty insignificant in terms of the roster build, Ken Hughes might pull a fast one on everyone. And you never know that the first day of free agency, they might announce that they made a big mega money signature on a guy like Johnny Gaudreau or Philip Forsberg for that matter, because up front, it's, it's, you need something that's going to complement Suzuki and Caulfield because as much as we have that secondary scoring, so to speak, with guys like Hoffman, you know, and we had Tyler Toffoli and everything, it's not the kind of players that are going to complement the skill set that Suzuki and Caulfield offer on a nightly basis. You know, you're telling me you're bringing in a guy like Gaudreau. Like, I'm sorry, but like with the season he's having now, he's showing us his full potential. This could be a perennial heart, tro- heart trophy candidate if he, put, if he puts his mind to it. And this is the kind of move that we might need to do because everyone knows that when a new coach comes in, it's all a honeymoon phase for the first season. And then the second season happens. And the same thing happens with coaches like it happens with rookies. Right, you get that sophomore slug, so to speak. So the kid, like, it's almost a necessity to inject the team with a high-profile player through uh, free uh, free agents and something that's going to kick Saint Louis and his gang and being like, "Well, man, we don't have a choice but to perform, even if it means you know missing out on the playoffs again." But you know, it's it's going to be there's so many directions that we can take. But I truly believe though that that's going to be something to look out for once the playoffs are over. All right. And, um, no, I, I think, I think on that note, Oh, you sound uh, confused. Do you want me to try again? <laughs> buddy. Buddy. Hey, Oh, 
buddy. Come on. Pump the brakes. Okay. Let me do my job. Good. Okay. My apologies, my lord. You may continue. <laughs> know your place, Patrick. Oh, no. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we should probably just switch our attention from the future to the past and give the floor to Joshua Rosa for this day in Habs history. The floor is yours. On this day, the year of our Lord, 1979, Guy Lafleur scores 350th career goal in a 3-1 win against the Washington Capitals. At the time, Lafleur was the seventh player to score 350 goals for the Montreal Canadiens, and since then only one other player has joined that club. Those names are Maurice Richard, Jean Beliveau, Yvonne Cornoyer, Steve Shutt, Bernie Jeffdon, Jacques Lemaire, and Henri Richard. In 1968, Toe Blake won his 500th win as the head coach of the Montreal Canadiens. Blake had a long Hall of Fame career as a player alongside Mr. Shard and Elmer Lack to form the punchline, which was one of the most dominant lines in NHL history. In 13 seasons, Blake scored 235 goals and 527 points in 577 games. Blake also coached the Canadians from 1955 to 1968 and won over 30 games in every season except for one in that span. At the time, Blake was the second coach to win 500 games behind Dick Irvin, who led with 690 wins with the Chicago Blackhawks, Toronto Maple Leafs, and Montreal Canadiens. Today, the coach with the most career wins is Scott Bowman, who also has a Stanley Cup wins as a coach with none. In, in the 1927-28 season, the Montreal Canadiens won the final game of their season against the Ottawa Senators, four to nothing. March 20th, the Canadiens had also beat the New York Americans five to nothing. It was the first time that a team had shut out their opponents in the last two games of their season. Seems like an innocuous enough record, but it was a record that would stand until the Toronto Maple Leafs would tie it in the 2003-2004 season, almost 80 years later. On March 24, 1981, Ron Hainsey was born in Bolton, Connecticut. He was drafted 13th overall in 2000 by the Canadians but played just 31 of his 1,132 games in Montreal. Ainsey holds the record for most games played before reaching the Stanley Cup playoffs, and he played for 907 games before reaching it with the Pittsburgh Penguins, which he eventually won the Cup that season with them, breaking the previous record, Ole Jokinen's, who played 799 games before entering the playoffs. March 24th is also the birthday of Doug Jarvis in 1955 in Brantford, Ontario. He never missed a game from the 1975-1976 to 1987-88 season. 
breaking Gary Unger's previous Iron Man streak, 915, and Jarvis retired with 964 straight games played. Keith Yandel broke the record, and Phil Kessel is about to break his soon. On this day, March 25th, 1954, Dickie Moore scored two goals and four assists in the Montreal Canadiens' victory against the Boston Bruins, which the Canadiens won 8-1. to one. It was the first time a player had scored six points at a single Stanley Cup playoffs game. That record would be later beaten by Wayne Gretzky with seven points, and now the record is held by Neil Lemieux and Patrick Sundstrom, both tied with eight points in a playoff game. In 1980, the Montreal Canadiens beat the Chicago Blackhawks 8-4. Steve Schott scored two goals, the first of which marked his him scoring against 20 different teams in one season, which was the first time it was ever done. Pierre Laroche also scored two goals, second goal with just 25 seconds left in the game, 50th goal of the season. And it was his second career 50-goal season. His first was with the Pittsburgh Penguins, and he was the first player to have two 50-goal seasons with two different teams. LaRoche actually had his fair share of records, most of which were broken by Wayne Gretzky. He was the youngest player to score 100, 200, and 300 points before being passed by Gretzky and those. LaRoche was also the youngest player to score 50 goals and 100 points in a single season before again being passed by Gretzky. I love uh, stories of Pierre LaRoche because he's a player that was so under the radar in the, in the 1970s and early 80s. And my, uh, my dad would often tell stories about him, how like, you know, a prolific scorer he, he was and could have been even better considering you know, he had a 50-goal. Uh, uh, well, his best season was, the, was uh, his sophomore season with the Pittsburgh Penguins where he, he scored 53 goals. He had his 50-goal season in 79, like you mentioned. And then in 84, he had another 48-goal season with the New York Rangers. Uh, so if it wasn't for injuries in his case, he could have, you know, like, you know, really, really, he was potentially a 500-goal career scorer if it uh, didn't slow it down, right? Hugely underrated, for sure. And for the first time in a while, we can actually say that we now have a prospect hero segment because it's plural, because it's not just me anymore, because Scott's back for an episode. Scott, it's great to have you back in this segment. And let's go straight into your territory, which is the ECHL and the AHL. And as we alluded to earlier on in the episode, the the Laval Rocket are going on a playoff run and they added Nate Schnarr to uh, contribute to that. So what is like your take on the Rocket right now? The prospect heroes, Scott and Sebastian on puck and roll.
as a person who's been a follower of the Laval Rocket ever since their early days and even going back to their time in St. John, it's just so nice to finally have good AHL hockey again in Montreal after so many seasons where it seemed like Marc Bergevin would initially make good signings to make the Rocket a good team and then he just throw caution to the wind, get rid of it all, completely gut the team, mostly because the Habs are struggling in the year and then they just tank. I think most people will, fans of a certain time will remember the 12-game losing streak the Rocket ended their inaugural season with when they were just dressing whoever would show up to the rink to try and fill a roster. So going into this season, the Rocket have been... Nothing- yeah, I played a game. Well, <laughs> going to this season, the Rocket have been nothing but exciting to watch. And I think a lot of that has to do to the fact that Montreal has got Laval's roster, but you know what's persevered for all that? They're AHL contracted players. I think people need to make a point that having AHL contracted players on an AHL team is incredibly beneficial to a team's depth. And because of that, even if the Habs took everything the Rocket have, they can still dress a competitive lineup every single night. I mean, guys like Kevin Poulain have absolutely answered the bell and for me personally, blow my expectations out of the water. Kevin Poulain has been an unbelievably good starting option for the Laval Rocket when I was expecting him to be a backup for the 12 Riviera Lyon or even the starter for the 12 Riviera Lyon. So to see him be able to split minutes of a kid in Primo is just great for that kid's development and also to give him a chance to rest and be a more efficient option down the line. Now, going back to what I said about the guys who are AHL contracted, some of those guys include Kevin Waugh, who's been fantastic for the Rockets this season in the middle six role. You have, and even going back to guys that the Habs signed, you have Jean-Sébastien D and Raphael Harvey-Pinard. And while those two guys haven't really seen a big extensive action with the Canadians, just having them there and being contributors on the Rocket roster is enough because all the Rocket really need at the end of the day are a couple of goals. And then they're strong enough defensively to be able to hold the fort and get the win, which is, again, surprising considering the fact that at the beginning of the season, their roster seemed a bit, sort of bare bones, if you could see, especially with the amount of Asian contract players they had. But with the guys they've added, like Devontae Smith-Pelly, and especially going to their ECHL uh, call-ups like Peter Abandonado and guys like that, it's just made the Rocket an overall really well-balanced and a really well-gelled team, especially going back to the way things were with Joe Bouchard, where his, uh, work, where his motto was kind of work hard and I'll give you minutes if you work hard and put your head down and play your role. And I find that Jean-Francois Houle has kind of taken on with that and just made the Rocket a kind of what do we have to lose, let's go for it approach. And the same thing can be said for the 12 Riviera Lyon. So overall, in general, I think it's just great to finally have good minor league hockey back for the Canadians and especially just with the head with the Canes that played this year to have one team who's actually going for a playoff run is just super exciting to see. Corey Funiman actually got papered down to the AHL just so he's actually eligible to contribute to that playoff run eventually. And I'm personally really excited to see what he can do with that, especially now given that he will have had what, like 30 or 40 games of NHL experience and then will then contribute to the playoff run. So Scott, what's your take on uh, Schooneman? Like per- perhaps like, re-entering the AHL just for that one big playoff push? It's a really interesting proposition. I mean, me personally, I think it was kind of a toss-up for me between Schwenemann and Pizzetta as to who was the most surprising player to make the Canadians this year. I'm still going to go with Pizzetta because I didn't see Michael Pizzetta as being an AHL player last year, let alone in... Well, sorry. I didn't see Michael Pizzetta as being an ECHL player last year, let alone an AHL player, while Schwenemann was just kind of a guy who spent his four years at university found his way for the age on age contract deals, but I personally have low expectations, Scott, man. <laughs> low expectations are just, I'm used to seeing a lot of these guys come and go. The Rocket have had a lot of guys like Pizzetta, like, like Hayden Verbeek and any other French player you can think of who have just kind of come and gone for the ECHL. So I think it'd be great to have Schwenemann find a role in Laval and especially see what that would happen if they gave him proper like minute crunching numbers on a top train role to see maybe if he could become that next big, uh, 
AHL top-pairing option they need because even though Schwedeman doesn't find a role with the Canes immediately, if he can find a top-pairing role with Val and be their guy, that's just fantastic for his development going forward. You may have been surprised about Schwedeman cracking the NHL lineup this season, but I wasn't because at the beginning of this season, we had a podcast where we talked about which Laval Rocket we think is against all expectations going to play NHL minutes. And my candidate was Corey Schuneman, and I stuck with it. And it turned out to be true, and I'm very happy because well, I still remember when I he was loved playing him. for the uh, I still remember he was playing for the Stockton Heat. We were talking about yeah. skating, and we were so impressed by the fact, like, who is this guy? And to see him in Montreal now, it's just a very welcome change. And I think he's worked his ass off for it, and he's earned his shot. And it's nice to see. He's him. a really fun player. I, I really <laughs> enjoy watching him. So, Sebastian, you're basically saying, I didn't want to say I told you so, but I told you so. I told you so. <laughs> there we go. It's not let, being left unsaid. We're just there saying you go. it straight up. <laughs> I told you so. All right. And then now for my segment of the Prospect Heroes, the big thing to talk about, bye, really. Bye, Scott. <laughs> okay, Scott, Scott left us in, in our little intermission here. But my <laughs> segment is about the CHL Top Prospects game, which took place yesterday, so on, on uh, Wednesday. And I really enjoyed watching it because... I mean, it's a top prospects game. It's like it's like if the US NTDP existed for Canadian teams, but they have no chemistry because they practiced together at once. It was it was chaos. It was great. I love Keanu Cotty. I'll be I'll be totally honest, uh, Sebastian. I completely missed everything about it because I was yeah, still they, they didn't swimming in the that well. Yeah, but I was also swimming in all the business that is the uh, the trade deadline, and yeah. also having a three year old takes up the rest of the twenty four hours that you you have really? allocated in a day. That's shocking. Yeah, you'll see. <laughs> raising, a, um, raising a child takes time. No uh, rumor has it. I don't know the book. The book says differently, but anyways, <laughs> the, if uh, do is there any um, uh, were there any Habs prospects uh, for first and mm. foremost? No, so the top prospects game is literally organized for NHL scouts. So it's right. only draft oh, eligible okay. players. So it's, it's okay. only first time draft eligibles that can that that are that, that can oh, okay. play in the event. Kind of, it's kind of like it's, a combine, it's made right? for scouts. Yeah, I mean, yes. So they, okay. they had some like combine testing type things, right? So they had like a a speed competition. And Pat, guess who the fastest player was? Noah Warren. Noah Fastest Warren. Player. No way. Right? Noah Warren. It's shocking. It's shocking. Seriously. And I mean, like, actually, like, Shane Wright as well was actually among the fastest in like all the speed events, too, which also surprised me. But Noah Warren, fastest player, six foot five, 214 pound. Right wow. defenseman. Yeah, for those who uh, who who uh, don't remember, uh, Sebastian, I uh, we had the chance of uh, seeing some Gatineau Olympics uh, uh, games and one of them together actually. And Noah Warren was one of the guys that stood out the most. And I was like, man, I really hope the Canadians can snag him in the, at least in the second round. And but to hear that he was one of the fastest skaters, I mean, yeah, I saw him being pretty mobile. But man, he didn't he didn't give me Connor McDavid vibes though. But wow, that's it's amazing. Just- it's the length of the stride, I think, right? We're just like the yeah, but he's massive, yeah, yeah. But it kind of reminds me, it kind of reminds me a little bit. I mean, I'm I'm going a little um, in the past here, and I like you like to say I'm showing my age. Um, reminds me a little bit of Vladimir Malikov in his stride. Malikov was one of those big defensemen 
I think it was 6'3 or 6'4 and everything, long strides. So you're watching him on TV and you think that he's slow because his leg's not moving. But the next thing you know, he just went coast to coast. And you're like, whoa, how do you do that? And I get like that, that's the, yeah. kind of the vibe I'm getting with, with, uh, with Warren now that I, you know, think about it. So, yeah, good for him. Yeah, and, and Warren actually did also stand out during the game as just being a very calming presence on the back end. He also just like obliterated Shane Wright once, like with a massive hit. And that was really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, like Noah Warren stood out positively. Um, and other players that I thought were excellent uh, were the players that I covered last time in Denton Matejchuk and Jagger Furkus, the two Moose Jaw boys. They were fantastic. Jagger Fergus was the, the MVP for his team. Because he team. moves like Jagger. <laughs> He's so much fun. He's like, he is. he is a great goal scorer. He has tremendous skill. Uh, I moved <laughs> I moved him in the last two weeks. He went from like 40th to, I believe he's at like 19th now on my board. Oh. I watched three, I watched three games. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't like a one game thing, right? I'm not, I'm not that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, but like, I moved him up to like 33rd, right? On the break of my first round. And I was like, okay, I know he's not going to be in my 20s. Is he either going to be a guy of like, I think he has enough skill to like really crack and I'll put him in my teens? Or is he a guy where I don't know it's quite enough and I'll keep it on like at like 33? And then I watched two more games and it was like, okay, <laughs> he's in my teens now and I'm happy about it. He's the real uh, deal. He uh, he's he's just really fun. He scored a highlight real goal. So if you guys want to want to watch that, I highly recommend. Uh, he it was it was off the rush, and then he like he cut inside against one defenseman and just sniped the top corner. It was a beautiful move, better shot. You think Jagger's going to be one of those uh, sleeper picks uh, in this draft? Oh yeah, if the Habs yeah. nab him in the second round, I will be ecstatic. I I think. Uh, thing is, this game I'm sure did elevate his status because he outshone players like Shane Wright, uh, Matthew Savoy, who who did play well. Like, like, okay, I never know if I want to call him Savoy or Savoy because he's Anglophone, so it's Savoy. But I want to say Savoy, so because of our, I'll roots, say both. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I grew up in <laughs> Quebec, so it's like mm. I'll say both. Um, but Josh will say Savoy. We'll say Savoy. How's that? Sure, I'm good with and that. You, and so, you'll say both because you're from, you're in Ottawa, so and you, an phone. You officially so. have to speak both languages in order to survive there. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. But uh, Savoie, go that way. Um, he he played well and he demonstrated a lot of skill, which I thought was really fun. He had a couple of great like rushes into the offensive zone uh, with some like really great like acceleration. His top speed is good, but it's his acceleration that really pops out. And he was probably like, like like one of the more fun ones, but also like he was either really fun or invisible, you know. Yeah, he he's a name he's a name you were hearing often uh, for the uh, top draft picks. What um what what what's the hype around Matthew Savoy Savoy? <laughs> Didn't oh, say how you wanted. Um, uh, Matthew Savoy, like, what, what's what's the hype? Like, why why would why would teams you know throw themselves at him in, in the first round? Because he has he has high skill. He is a high end playmaker and a high end shooter. Right? He's a, he's a real double threat player, and he like he reminds me quite a bit of guys like Clayton Keller. So, and Clayton Keller is having a breakout season now, right? 
but Clayton Keller also had a couple of seasons where he was not all that effective. So you can kind of see where like teams would have reservations with that type of player, right? It's also the fact that he's had great production, but he's on an, a, a tremendous team in Winnipeg. And a lot of that is coming on the power play and a lot of that is secondary points. So it, it, there's just a lot of like reservations with him as a player. There's not a doubt in my mind that he's a top 10 pick, pick though, because he just has too much skill to be outside the top 10. Mm. And like, and Shane Wright had a solid game, but it was a typical Shane Wright game. So I saw a lot of people that were watching him for the first time be like, oh, Shane Wright's having a bad game. And it's like, no, you just need to, you have to watch a lot of Shane Wright to kind of like, like figure what his game is because he's not ultra dynamic. He's not the most dynamic player in this draft at all, but he's hyper intelligent. He has a lot of skill. He just doesn't flash it. Uh, He reminds me of Nick Suzuki quite a bit. And that's a very good player to be like. And that's an amazing comparison, yeah. But it's not a typical first overall, right? And that's kind of why a lot of people are, they have reservations with Shane Wright, right? And, but he had, he had a solid game, but it was just a very typical Shane Wright game. He scored a goal, and it was because he made a quick pass in, in the breakout and then just like sprinted up the ice. And uh, yeah, he was, he was solid. Uh, like I said beforehand, Denton Matejchuk, he played great. He was his typical self of just, like super aggressive offensively, had some amazing passes, had a nice secondary assist. He was very effective, and I, I liked him a lot. Uh, but two players that stuck out for perhaps less positive reasons. Um, the first one would be Maverick Lamaru, who is oh. Maverick Lamaru. <laughs> heard that? He's a six foot seven defenseman. What does he rank? Oh, that, that depends on who you ask. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. On uh, on my board, he's low. Um, on NHL Central scouting, I assume he's he's a first round, like or fringe first rounder, um, because he's six foot seven and he skates decently well. So, congratulations. Who's the next guy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, so so so, so Lamaru is just I don't know. He has zero finesse in his game. I can't see him being anything more than like a fifth defenseman if he reaches his peak in the NHL. Hey man, I just if, don't see why. Why would you draft that? If Tyler, if, if Tyler Myers can make a career out of it, anyone can. I mean, at least Tyler Myers won the Calder. <laughs> like man, he did something. Yeah, yeah, he has true. some offensive flair. Whereas <laughs> Lamaru, they Used put Lamaru on the first power play with like Shane Wright and. It was painful to watch because Shane Wright had this one play where he got open through a, a great like route. Like he, he completely confused the defense was open, and Lamaru decides, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna lob a, a shot from the point that's gonna miss by like two feet. And it's like, oh, great, thank you for that. Yeah. The other player, Pat, you're not gonna surprise you won't you will not be surprised that I mentioned this name here, and uh, that is Tristan Luno. He oh, did yeah. not have a very good game at all. He uh, Poor guy. <laughs> and the, the, the confusing thing to me was that at the intermission, Craig Button was talking about how incredible Tristan Luno has been playing, of like this high-end offensive mind where he pinched once. And it's like, Denton Matejchuk did that 20 times and did it better. <laughs> like, what yeah. do you mean? I don't know. Um, 
I just I just don't see it with Manuel still. Like he he's dropping down my board, and you know I did not have him very high to begin with. No, he didn't hire him and didn't exactly hire his team, but you know, a lot, a lot of scouting goes what with what's on paper. And on paper, he's got 31 points in 46 games for a defenseman. I haven't so, even looked at the stats because it doesn't matter my, my evaluation. I know. I just, I know. Yeah. I, I, I literally did not. If you'd asked me how many points he had, I would have had no idea because I, I see what I see with him and whether he had five points or 40, eh. I don't think it would change too much, but yeah, he's a good player, a, a, a good skater, sorry. And he's a solid QMJHL defender, but a solid QMJHL defender, it's a very low bar. <laughs> and I just much prefer like the, like a, type of, a player like Noah Warren who has these standout abilities. He's way more like calculated in, in his plays. I, mm-hmm. I just like Noah Warren a lot more. Um, at the same time, uh, it was interesting. Like uh, speaking of uh, of the Gatineau Olympic, it's been nice uh, seeing Zach Dean back with. Oh, uh, oh, oh you're nodding like, oh, I know what's going to happen now. Yeah, I, 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 I thought I knew where you were talk, going, but no. Let me talk. Oh, well, you're talking <laughs> prospects. Of course, I have to let you talk. <laughs> yes, you do. Uh, but Zach Dean's been back this season with Gatineau. And he has looked tremendous, unlike Luno. And Luno and, and Dean are probably going to be back-to-back first-rounders from Gatineau. And I really don't think it's very close between the two of them. Uh, so I, I really do think that Vegas got a gem in Zach Dean. Something the Vegas Golden Knights did not do very well, however, was the trade deadline with getting dead enough. Pat, the floor is yours to... Rant about the Vegas Golden Knights. Oh, my goodness. Before I rant about the Vegas Golden Knights, I wanted to um, add uh, just a 30 seconds to your pro- uh, prospect segment uh, because we're talking about the Olympic Gat- uh, Gatnos. The Olympic Gatnos. The Gat. Anyways. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, we have to mention Ev Gascon. Uh, at least a tip of the hat, of course, being the. F- 100%. Ha- I, I, that, that's on me. Yeah. I yeah, I mean, yeah. obviously, obviously, I, I, I retract my sassiness from, uh, from a couple minutes. For a minute <laughs> That's what I thought because, you were uh, going to mention. Yeah, um, that that uh, that hundred percent. Please go ahead. We uh, we've seen the commercial. She's not the first female goaltender uh, to ever play in the CHL. And as a matter of fact, I think she's the fourth, if I remember correctly. Um, I think third, but like third or fourth. Uh, but you know what? It was just so great to seeing. Um, you know, the bear being broken once again. And yeah, okay, it wasn't a great game, but it was just an all, all that offensive onslaught from both ends. So not necessarily her fault. She did, you know, do a couple of great saves here and there. Uh, it was she a didn't classic look- QMJHL game. Exactly. Like, she, but she didn't look completely out of her element. She didn't look that, exactly. she looked comfortable. So, yeah. you know what? I mean, like, pro- and, props and Gat- to her, man. And Gatineau sold out their arena for that game. Like, I, I knew people that, that wanted to go to the game but they waited too long and they just didn't get tickets because they were sold out like two days beforehand. And I, you and I, and you and I have had the chance of seeing a get no game sold out. Then the atmosphere there is pretty amazing. It's an incredible so, arena. Yeah, like it's a great truly arena. the facilities there are, are great. And yeah, but anyways, Pat, thank you for uh, mentioning that because that was a miss thing from, for me, but that's right. You retract your sassiness, boy. I do. I do. <laughs> I, 
a good host has to admit when uh, uh, he makes a mistake. Oh, wow. Um, I've hosted. I never admitted mistakes. I'm just, no, just kidding. Uh, and that's why I'm hosting. Anyway. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yes, Vegas Golden Knights. Josh, feel free to join me on this one if you want to, because I know you love the Golden Knights as much as I do, or any fan of the NHL for that matter. Um, so the, for the long story short, the Golden Knights and the Anaheim Ducks had completed a trade that would send Evgeny Dadunov uh, to Anaheim. In return for John Moore, I believe a second round pick and uh, the contract of Ryan Kessler. Now, Ryan Kessler hasn't played in the NHL since 2018, I believe. Uh, and uh, it's basically just like a Shea Weber situation. It's just leftover uh, deal. It, there was one year remaining on a $6.8 million cap hit. So he's going to retire after that. Now, where things got awkward was um, the Senators noticed uh, the... Uh, Trey going through when they give the NHL a call being like, um, I, we believe that Anaheim is part of his 10 team, no trade list. Awkward. Now there was an argument going on between the NHL and the golden Knights where, um, when dad was traded from the Florida Panthers to the Ottawa senators, the senators were on his no trade list. However, the deal went through because the, paperwork wasn't submitted in time so uh so it made so he it made him available everywhere so now what happened is that well where is this paperwork so they had to it was it's ridiculous it's something out of a freaking comedy where people are squabbling trying to find a bit of a proper document and everything and they finally found it found out that anaheim is on his no trade list and uh the nhl eventually vetoed the trade and made it null now, where things get interesting in this is that the Golden Knights need to trade Dadunov because they have both Alec Martinez and Matt Stone on the injured reserve, and now they cannot activate any of them because they don't have enough cap space. So it becomes an interesting situation where you got healthy players on the injured list cannot play because of financial reasons. So, um, so now where things get interesting now is that the NHL, you're, you're still allowed to trade after the trade deadline for those who didn't know. Now, the difference is that if a trade is completed after the deadline, the players getting traded cannot play a regular season game or the playoffs after that, after the trade. Now, don't know if it's going to play with Dadunov and maybe the, the NHL and the NHLPA will come to an agreement in order to make an exception in this case. But where, where this gets interested is that um, Kent Hughes has openly said that he came very close to trading Shea Weber's contract. And now we found out that the Arizona Coyotes were originally in on it. But in the end, the NHL vetoed that trade also. And then it ended up um, getting Brian Little's contract instead. So And now the Vegas Golden Knights have set, uh, openly said that they are willing to take on, on a bad or dead contract, so to speak, in Shea Weber. So maybe something there's, there's something that could be done here. Maybe we can get Evgeny Dadunov and something as high as a first-round pick or a prospect, and we can, we can give them um, Shea Weber's contract, who, by the way, is worth nothing in terms of actual salary. This is his last year at $3 million. After that, I believe it's next year or the year after where he's going to be making a million dollars a year in actual money. But uh, cap-wise... You know, it's it's all it's all that matters. But the uh, 
the Golden Knights can um, bury this pretty easily. Um, but now it's, it becomes an issue where I know a lot of people are wondering what's the rush in trading Shea Weber's contract. And the reason is literally in terms of um, the actual allotted space on the LTIR, because the way it's calculated is that, first of all, when you send a, per, uh, a player on the injured reserve, it's calculated that it's your salary, well, the salary, the, the capital of the player subtracted by the amount of cap space available at the time the player is put on the injured reserve will make up for your LTIR pool, right? And then when you reactivate the player, it's you, um, you're reactivating the full cap hit. Now, where things get interested there is that when the offseason hits, everyone is activated, right? And when everyone is activated, but obviously everyone goes over the cap, but the teams are, are allowed up to 10% over the cap hit during the offseason. So if the Canadians were stuck with Shea Weber's contract, right, uh, you're adding an extra seven and seven and a half million dollars, almost eight, you know, of cap space, and you're preventing yourself from signing a free agent or making a contract extension until the following off uh, the, the following preseason, where you know things could get uh, things could get a little uh, more normal, where you could put players back onto the LTIR. So that's one of the big reasons why you know the Canadians want to get rid of that contract, and the Knights are able to bury this kind of contract because once everyone is activated, well, they'll have ways left, right, and center in order to, the, to use whatever legal loophole, loophole there is. So again, it's going to be an interesting situation. Maybe, you know, we'll see if uh, a deal can, uh, will, will get done, assuming of course, Munchell is not on Dan and no trade list, but uh, yeah, there's a million and one possibilities and it definitely kept us a little bit more in the loop as to how the uh, CBA works as well. <laughs> Yeah, and if they do move the Weber, the Weber contract to Vegas, that would make consecutive Habs captains move to Nevada, which Ouch. would be very weird considering they've only been around for what, like four years? Nah, whatever. You should have stood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all, all I could say is that it couldn't have happened to a better team than. Oh, Vegas. thank you, Josh. <laughs> That's the most polite way of putting it. Thank you, sir. Yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is, though, that the NHL is putting the blame on all this on the Ottawa Senators. Proving once again that the Ottawa Senators are one of the least competent organizations in the league, which I just find hilarious because, I mean, it's Pierre Maguire. How can you not find that funny? That is just absolutely humorous. Great. I love how you said out loud what we were all thinking. You're like, Pierre Maguire, son. Pierre Maguire. Uh, I'm sure he's useful somewhere. But like, Maguire is just Well, Dorian Dorian has his... his, um, his fair share of decent moves and everything. And, you know, he's very good draft wise, but I mean, he also hired Pierre Maguire. Did he though? Yeah. Or did actually, he no, though? That it may, it may have just been Melnick. It's exactly. It, it I was going to say, Melnick, when you're working for a guy true. like Eugene Melnick, anything is possible. So that's fair. It, it feels Tyler like a Melnick Boucher move. going. Yeah. Yeah, that one doesn't. Didn't I mean, I, I've watched Tyler well. Boucher a couple times because, <laughs> like, I'm I'm in Ottawa, right? So I've, I've watched him play junior, and um, the regular Tyler Boucher game is um, he will have approximately eight scoring chances. Um, he will whiff on five of them. Nice. He will it, hit the goal in the chest on two of them, and he will slip on the puck on the other one. 
I've seen him like line up for a one timer, step on the puck, and fall twice in like four games. My goodness, I'm getting How? memories memories How? of Turner Stevenson. <laughs> <laughs> but it's ridiculous. It's like like it was funny, and then like in both games where he tripped on the puck, he also then scored a goal. So it's like when like it it evens out, right? But it is just really amusing. But yeah, he's just not a top ten pick. I, I mean, he is, but he shouldn't be. He's he's being he's being outplayed by like a draft eligible in uh, uh, Vinny Rohrer, who I don't think really should be a like anywhere near the first <laughs> round. Like, Although I, did, I mentioned I Turner know. Stevenson, he was a first round pick, by the way. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so is Tyler Myers. So we can go down the list of bad first round picks, but he won the he won he won the caller. So what can I say? We should do we should do that for the next uh, for the next show. <laughs> oh, just like worst first round. I mean, worst a long first round list. Shows. That's a long there, there, list. There are, there are a lot of first round picks that played zero NHL games. At least these guys have made it, right? True. Whereas True. Tyler Boucher, okay, no, Tyler Boucher will play NHL games, but only because he's in the Ottawa organization. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. Instead, 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 we'll just talk about an hour about Louis Leblanc. How's that? Ooh. <laughs> yeah. And uh, another first-round pick, Rasmus Ristolainen, our favorite here on the show. Legend. Woo! Legend, well, my friend. Could be a lot worse. He, he, he's played NHL games and is now a terrible contract. <clears throat> I, promi- I promise you, gentlemen, I'm going I'm to keep harassing Anthony DeMarco to come back on our show. And we need to talk about the legend that is Rasmus Ristolainen because him being a Flyers fan. He's oh, yeah. To say. That would be great. <laughs> I, I love talking Rasmus. That's just great fun. <laughs> who, who doesn't love that? And honestly, I think that Rasmus Ristolainen is a very fitting note to end this episode on. Considering that he's everyone's favorite player. So (laughs) uh, with that being said, thank you very much for listening this entire episode. It was a lot of fun. (laughs) It's a a very fun episode with the whole panel back together of regulars. And I mean, it was a biggie with the trade deadline. But yes, so thank you very much for, um, I guess, being able to listen to what an hour and a bit of banter between me and Pat pretty much. Right, that's about it. it that happened today. We didn't talk about hockey. It was really just me teasing Pat for being old and him teasing me for being host, which he asked me to be. So it's kind of awkward. Anyway, <laughs> leave the jokes to me, son. <laughs> okay. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Peace. Well, it's one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready now. Go get going, but don't you step on my blue Down, step in my face, slander my name all over the place. I'm doing anything that you want to do, but uh-uh, honey, lay off of my shoes and don't you double my blue play shoes. Well, you can do anything, but lay off of my blue Yeah. Car. Drink my liquor from an old fruit jar. I do 
cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.